Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we begin the next mini-series in our year-long study of the book of Genesis as we begin to look at the life of Joseph. This week, Pastor Tim asks us to wrestle with the question of generational sin. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. And if you have a Bible, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 37 this morning. And um, by the way, as you're turning there to Genesis 37, um, our Israel trip is opening up, and uh, our next year Israel trip, and we have an interest meeting. Uh, So the trip is May 13 through 24 of 2024. Um, I'm excited every year that I get to share this, and so hopefully, uh, if, you're, if it's been on your radar, we'd love, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about what the trip is, and, um, and I'd love to show you the land that I've come to love. Uh, many of you, so I, I, what's been fun for me is I can now look out at people that have gone to Israel, and, um, and so we carry this kind of shared love now for the land, and so we'd love for you to join us. Uh, again, the trip is May 13 through 24. We're going to have an interest meeting um, just to kind of uh, answer the questions, uh, talk through. Likely, there's some questions you have, cost and itinerary, and is it safe, and what's the food like, and all those things. Uh, we'll address all of that on August 6, from 1 to 2.30. So mark your calendars, August 6, right here from 1 to 2.30, and bring all the questions you have. We'll do our best to kind of lay out the trip, and uh, and, uh, hopefully you can join us in Israel in August, or in uh, next May, Um, next May. So, uh, by the way, May is the best time to go to Israel. It's beautiful there in May. So, all that said, Genesis chapter 37, we are continuing a series that we've been in for now eight months, journeying through Genesis, and We've bumped into some people as we've been journeying through Genesis. Uh, We did some introduction work at the beginning of Genesis, and then we've been traveling with this family, Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and we've seen how they've had these moments of tremendous faith and tremendous courage. They're willing to step away from what is familiar and safe and comfortable and trust God into a whole new reality and trust that God will provide for them in this whole new reality. Uh, They are the heroes of our faith, and they are the heroes of our faith for really, really good reasons. And we've seen that. And at the same time, what we've seen is that they're also incredibly human. Uh, We've now traced this family for three generations, and we've seen that uh, this particular family, uh, there's a tremendous amount of brokenness that follows the family from one generation into the next generation and into the next generation. And uh, we're now at generation number four, Uh, And this morning, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be working through the story of a man named Joseph. Uh, Now, there is a lot riding on this fourth generation. There's a lot riding on Joseph and his brothers, uh, because there's a major problem in Genesis so far. Uh, If you've been tracking with us, it's a pretty major problem that God is going to have to resolve, and uh, he's going to try to resolve it. He's He's going to resolve it through this man named Joseph. But here's the tension. God called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to use your family to bless the world. So I need your family to model what it's like to live in harmony with me and in harmony with one another. 
your, your family's going to be a nation, and that nation's going to show the world the, the, the light of who I am. Uh, and that happened in Abraham's generation, but there's a problem. So far, the family hasn't been able to do that. Uh, if you've been tracking the story, there's like an issue that's haunted this family from generation to generation to generation. They cannot figure out how to stay together. They cannot figure out how to get beyond this jealousy that haunts each generation and figure out how to forgive each other for when they hurt each other and how to reconcile each other. And so this, the story of Genesis has been about this family colliding and then dividing. Uh, and each generation has ended with brothers becoming enemies, right? It's first, it's Isaac and Ishmael and their brothers. And then Ishmael becomes his own people group and Isaac becomes his own people group. Ishmael's people group still exists in our world. Um, the Islam, Muslims trace their history back through Ishmael. And Jacob's, or, or I, uh, Isaac's family still exists in our world, and Christians and Jews trace our lineage to Isaac. Then the next generation, uh, you find Jacob and Esau, these twin brothers, and uh, they should be built-in best friends, and yet the story ends with Jacob and Esau dividing, and Esau becomes the father of the Edomites, and Jacob becomes the father of the Israelites. The Edomites eventually... Trace it generation to generation to generation. Eventually land at a guy by the name of King Herod. And uh, Jacob's family, you trace down the line and eventually you get to Jesus. And Herod and Jesus, there's this major collision in the Gospels uh, between Herod and Jesus. Um, Herod is so threatened by Jesus because it's the enemy people that he's willing to kill all the babies just to see if he can, he can get rid of Jesus when he's an infant. Uh, so you find this... This is a major problem. If you're God, this is a major problem because you want this family to show the world what you're like. But if the family itself cannot figure it out, if the family itself cannot show mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness, how on earth are they going to show the world that God is a God of mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness? If the family itself can't figure it out inside the family, how are they gonna show the world that this is what our God is like? So this is the problem and the tension that sits as we get to this point in Genesis. Uh, how will Joseph do this? How is he going to uh, do what those before him just couldn't do? How is Joseph and his brothers, how are they going to break these generational destructive cycles? And uh, for many of us, this is, this is theory, this is theology, this is a Bible study. But for most of us, I would say that this is not theory or theology or Bible study alone. Uh, that for many of us, maybe most of us, um, this is, we find ourselves asking this question. This is the question we ask is, um, how do we do this? How do we do this difficult, difficult work of when we are hurt, how do we heal? Um, how do we do this difficult work? Uh, we all know that we are a combination. Um, who we are and who we become is a combination of a whole variety of factors. The, the, the reason you are who you are, there's a lot of things that played a role. Uh, your genetics certainly played a role. The community that you were raised in played a role. Uh, every parent knows that the kids their friends are, or, or the friends their kids are hanging out with play a tremendous role in who we become. Uh, the friends you have as an adult play a tremendous role your education, the schools you went to, the kind of teachers you had, all of these, you put them in like a Vitamix and they contribute to who you are. Um, and yet, 
without a doubt, the single greatest influence for almost all of us, for who we are today, is our family of origin. The single greatest influence for the kind of person we're going to become or the kind of adult we are is our family of origin. And when I say family of origin, don't just think mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Think mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, great grandma, great grandpa, your family. uh, In many ways, we walk into our adulthood and all of those uh, have shaped who we are. And, uh, And if we don't pay attention to how they've shaped us, we do run the risk of carrying, we carry many great things from our families, hopefully mostly great things from our families, Um, But there are some things that get passed on from generation to generation that if we're not careful, we can carry that same toxic, destructive cycle into our family. Um, Maybe you're familiar with, uh, I think it's a relatively famous quote from uh, George Santanaya. He says that those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Until we see the ways that we've been shaped by our past, it's possible that we can unintentionally mirror those same things in our families. Now, I, you already know this. I'm not telling you anything that you already don't know. Um, but the implication to our discipleship to Jesus, uh, on the, the implication of this on our discipleship is pretty massive. Uh, I came across a book a few years back by a man named Pete Scazzaro or Peter Scazzaro. Um, the book is called The Emotionally Healthy Church. Uh, if you're in church leadership, so elders and deacons, um, or have ever served in church leadership, or you just kind of want to know what is the, how does the church do this? He wrote the book, Emotionally Healthy Church. It is, I think, for especially pastors, it should be required reading. It's unbelievable. A lot of actually why we do what we do at, at South Harbor Church has been shaped by the writings of, of Peter Scazzaro. Um, it's just really, really good stuff. But notice what he says in his book. He says, in emotionally healthy churches, people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and others. They've realized from scripture and life that an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kind of person they are today and their past. Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family we have grown up in is the primary and except in rare circumstances, the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. So one of the first tasks in our discipleship to Jesus is we have to deal with our past. We need to go back and re-examine the cycles, uh, the, the coping mechanisms that maybe we saw our parents and how they dealt with anger or how they, de- they dealt with stress. We've inherited some coping mechanisms. We've seen some destructive cycles that have been inherited, that have been passed down from generation to generation. It's really important that uh, As Christians, in our discipleship to Jesus, we try to do the hard work of examining all of those and seeing, okay, what is not in line with the teachings and the way of Christ? What is not in line? And maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's not, my family's pretty great. My family's pretty great. Like, we don't really have any destructive cycles or my family's pretty great. By the way, if if you're in that boat, congratulations. You're delusional, but congratulations. Uh, I mean, we all have stuff. I'm grateful that you have a great family. In fact, I hope that our families are great families, but we all have stuff. If I were to sit down with your family on Thanksgiving and we were to sit around the table, I would discover that you have things, right? And you know these things. Uh, They pop up every Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter. We see these things. 
A couple of uh, months ago, I was sitting down with this great family. I'm like, man, this is like a perfect family. And then I, um, I discovered that they are Chicago Bear fans. Gross, <laughs> gross, gross. We all have our things, right? We all have, all of us have our things. Um, we all walk into adulthood with just a little bit of baggage, at least a little bit of baggage from our past. And in order for us to go forward in our discipleship with Jesus, we have to go back and say, okay, where, where, what am I carrying with me that's out of line with Jesus? Um, maybe even assumed by my family system that I grew up in to be the way to do it, but it's actually not the way to do it. And with all that, uh, Genesis 37, um, we'll, we'll get really practical over the next several weeks, and we're going to try to th- really identify these and give practical tools for how do we, how do we work through these. Um, but I want to I sh- see this morning how... Uh, this idea that, that these generational sins follow us, um, is, it's all throughout Genesis. It's been all throughout Genesis. Genesis is such a human story, right? It's, it's God working with real people, broken people. Um, and we are now four generations deep into this family. And it's, if you've been with us, it's, you're going to read us the story with me, and it's going to feel a lot like deja vu. Like, haven't we been here? Have, uh, why are we still dealing with this stuff? So let me read the story. It's a, it's a pretty big block of scripture, but let me read it. We're now, again, the fourth generation since Abraham. Uh, Joseph's the fourth generation, and yet the problems feel very similar. Uh, Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. That feels like deja vu. This is the land of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, the, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about him. Pause. That feels like deja vu, doesn't it? A younger son, like tattletailing on, is that, is that what we call it yet? Uh, on his older brothers, like, dad, did you see what my older brothers have done? Um, trying to win his father's favor, the younger son. Deja vu. Uh, now Israel, that's Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. So we have a younger son competing with his brothers, telling on them for his father's favor. And we got father kind of getting sucked into it and he's now favoring his son. This whole idea of this ornate uh, technicolor dream robe uh, that he's got, like this whole cloak that he gives his son really is a physical family picture of giving your blessing to your son. Uh, think prodigal, prodigal son when the father puts his robe on, his son has run away. It's, it's really a way of restoration, restoring to a family. But in some ways, it's a physical picture of saying, you're my, my favorite. You're my blessed son. Does this sound like deja vu? When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Deja vu. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. That's deja vu. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. That's deja vu. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. It's thinly veiled, isn't it? He's got, he's got 11 brothers. He's like, yeah, you're bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him and his father kept the matter in mind. So we got a younger son trying to win the favor of his father. We have the father giving the blessing or a blessing that seems more substantial to his younger son than to his other sons. We have a younger son who says that the others will eventually bow down to him. Deja vu, deja vu, deja vu. Do you see how the story seems to be repeating itself? And by the way, um, again, this is a human story. Do you see how there's no really clear good guys and no clear bad guys? Like, like Joseph will be the hero of our story, but Joseph is, he's a 17-year-old who's uh, like telling on his brothers. He's making them look bad in front of his dad. He's then telling these dreams, which uh, there's some dreams you keep to yourself. Um, most dreams you probably should keep to yourself. But uh, it's a great way to kill a great conversation is I had a dream last night. Uh, unless you're Martin Luther King, be careful with your dreams. Um, but, but like this whole story has this like, like it, these are human people uh, and they're dealing with really human stuff and there's no clear good guys, there's no clear bad guys. They're all just trying to figure it out. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. So he's sending his son off to danger, knowing his brothers hate him, to a private, remote area, deja vu. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Deja vu. Does this not sound a lot like the Jacob and Esau story? We're one generation later. Uh, Jacob was brother. Now Jacob is father. And yet the story seems real. All of the same jealousy, all of the same anger, all of the same revenge and vengeance. It's all still here. Here comes a dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed blood. Throw him into the cistern over here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him uh, from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. Now catch this detail. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take the spices down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers, they agreed. Let's pause here. A caravan of who? We know this family. We've bumped into this family. The Ishmaelites, that's Isaac's brother. That's, Abraham. that's one of Abraham's sons. Three generations ago, there was a family rift and the family ended up dividing and becoming two different people groups. And now what we see is your family's dysfunction that existed 
three generations ago, like those people are back in the story. It's like the his, your family dysfunction, that history is cycling back. The, the once brothers are now enemies and now those enemies are actually part of the story that will end up with Joseph in slavery. Three generations later, the, family, the, the branch of the family tree that was cut off is back in the story. Um, do, do you see what's happening? The dysfunction of the past is repeating. It's like on loop. Um, it's it's going to haunt yet another generation. Now, um, we keep reading the story. Uh, essentially, this is what happens. They sell him off to the Ishmaelites, also known as the Midianites, and uh, they take him off to Egypt. Uh, the brothers take that robe they stole. They kill a goat. They drench the robe in the goat's blood. They bring it back to their dad and say, I don't know what happened to Joseph. Some animal must have eaten him. And uh, Joseph is heartbroken. Notice how Joseph responds. He recognized it and he said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that they come to comfort him even though they're the ones who killed or sold him off? No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites, another name for the Ishmaelites, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. That's the chapter we're looking at today. I, you, you have the sense and you read the story that I've already heard this story. I've, we've already told this story. The details are different. The generations are different. Uh, the names are different. But we've already bumped into a story. Uh, where else... Have we heard a story about brothers getting jealous over brothers and plotting to murder? Uh, where else have we heard a story about brothers lying to brothers, a father being deceived, that father weeping bitterly over his son? Um, what other story has a younger brother end up separated from his other brother in a foreign land? Is this not, Jacob was the brother, now he's the father. Is this not like a repeat of the Jacob and Esau story? It's like the same story, the same betrayal, the same vengeance, the same jealousy, the same bitter weeping. The same family is like right back to where they were a generation before. History is on loop. History is repeating. Uh, and we got a problem. How is God going to put the family back together? The brothers keep divide, or colliding and then dividing. It was Cain and Abel, then it was Isaac and Ishmael, then it was Jacob and Esau. Now it's Joseph and his brothers. This bitterness and vengeance keeps getting passed on from one generation to the next. That's the biblical story. But it's not just a biblical story. Um, it's uh, uncomfortable to acknowledge for many of us. Uh, this is uh, very true for our stories. Uh, we live in, easily, the most individualistic country that's ever existed, uh, easily. Um, and yet, uh, we, we, we can tend to think that, um, you know, when you were born, I was handed a blank canvas. I can be whoever I want to be. In some level, that's kind of true, but not fully. Uh, you weren't handed a blank canvas. We want to think... We want to think we're handing our kids a blank canvas, right? I want to, make, I want to think that... Uh, there's no reason my kids are going to end up needing uh, therapy. <laughs> like, I'm doing it perfect. We, and we work really hard, and I hope that I pass more good on to my kids than bad, and so do you. Um, but, but we have inherited some things from our parents 
uh, more than just genetics. We have inherited some behaviors and tendencies and habits. Uh, you ever remember that moment when you were like a teenager and you thought you'd see your parents and be like, I will never sound like my mom or dad. I'll never be like them. Some of you right now, you're thinking, that's what, I'm, that's what I thought this morning, right? Like that's, I will never. And then you reach, it's usually right around like 30, 35, and you're like in a moment and all of a sudden you can have that moment where you step outside of yourself and you realize, I sound just like my mom right now. It, it, yes? Is this, uh, or I sound just like my dad right now. We live in the most individualistic country, arguably the most individualistic country ever, and yet in our country, we still have old expressions. We still say things like, like father, like son, or he's a chip off the old block, or you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, we still say things... What you discover as you age uh, is that uh, for better or worse, um, the good and the bad, often what we realize is in many ways, I am my father's son. Uh, You are your mother's daughter. Um, We've all inherited things from our environment, uh, the the environments in which we were raised. Now with that, uh, turn to me to Exodus 20. Um, There's a really interesting line that comes up in the book of Exodus. It's one of the 10 commandments. Exodus 20, uh, there is... A beautiful line, and then there's like a really disturbing line in here. Um, This is Exodus 20, part of the Ten Commandments, verse 4. God says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now you read that initially and you think, God, the whole showing love to a thousand generations, that's awesome. But what's the deal with like taking it out on the grandkids? Like what's the deal with that? Like why, uh, if we read it at face value, it feels really unfair. Why would God punish us for something that our parents or our grandparents or our great grandparents did? Now understand uh, in the ancient world, uh, still in many parts of the world, uh, families lived in, in kind of family complexes. It wasn't just your nuclear family. You often lived with your grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and uh, the entire family, often two or three generations deep, all inside the same house. And what they observed is that there were certain things that would come into these families for good or bad. You saw them modeled for you. And some of those things were imprinted on you. Uh, Your parents' struggles um, and your parents' parents' struggles and your parents' 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 struggles, um, in many ways, they are your struggles. And uh, some of you know that that is really, it feels really unfair, but it is sadly how it works, is it not? Um, Now, I don't have to quote the Bible to convince you of this. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know if I even believe in the Bible. Statistics uh, from every major study will say the same things. Um, Let me give you a couple examples, and let me acknowledge that these are pretty touchy examples, and so I want to be uh, clear about that. Um, they're, pretty, they're pretty touchy examples, um, but they're statistically still true, and so um, I think it's important that we acknowledge those kinds of things. Uh, if we're not willing to confront the hard stuff, then, then what are we doing here anyway? Um, but here's some statistics. Did you know that children of alcoholics are four times more likely to become alcoholics themselves? Four times. 
Now, whether that's like a genetic thing or whether it's just this is the, the, what you saw modeled for you when dad was stressed out, that's how he coped with his stress. And now when you're stressed out, that's how you cope with your stress. And so your kids are now seeing it modeled. And when they're uh, four times, uh, statistically about 30% of children who are abused will later abuse their own children. Uh, this is a really touchy one, but uh, children of divorce are seven times more likely to get a divorce themselves. So when Exodus says that the sins of a generation will be passed on to the third and fourth, it's true. It is commentary on how it actually works. Um, now, it's, it's true for the big things, but it's not just the big things. Um, for, it's really true for a lot of little things too, right? If, you've, uh, if dad got angry, he sulked. Maybe your dad, when he got angry, he just like, uh, that was dad's response. Uh, dad sulked when he got angry. And now what you discover in yourself is when you are getting angry, you find yourself going, uh, um, it's usually like week eight of the lion season for me. Um, so uh, next year, it's a rebuilding year. Um, mom would get stressed. And when mom would get stressed, she would get short and she would often take it out on whoever was the closest to her, even if it wasn't that person's fault. It was just... Uh, it would like, it's like, ah, and now you find yourself whenever you're stressed, ah, who's around me? And it comes out. We, we inherit more than just genetics from our parents, don't we? Um, and the older you get, the more you start to, to recognize some of these things. Sometimes it's really harmless, right? Like uh, my grandma used to refer to the couch as a Davenport. And so, so for years, it was the Davenport. Like you're gonna sit on the Davenport um, or uh, cups were referred to as tumblers, is that a thing that others do, or is that just my grandma? Um, tumblers, uh, maybe, um, maybe you grew up in a different part of the country, and your whole family called it soda, and out here everyone calls it pop, and yet you still call it soda. I, it, sometimes it's really harmless little things. Uh, sometimes it's things that are a little more dangerous, um, dysfunctional habits, addictions, coping mechanisms. Uh, and Exodus says it, biblically we have it, and then statistically we have that it's just true. Um, we pass things down. Um, but more than this, uh, the whole uh, punishing the children to the third and fourth generation, that's a hard piece, right? That's hard, that's difficult. But, but understand that this whole other idea that's followed, this that God shows love to thousands, this is a revolutionary idea in the ancient world. Um, the ancient world, okay, follow me on this one. So the ancient world saw time as cyclical, so time was like a giant spinning wheel. And what came around goes around. In many parts of the world, Hinduism, uh, karma, like all, still view the world this way. Uh, there's a book in your Bible called Ecclesiastes. If you read Ecclesiastes, it's really interesting. It's, it's sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. It's on like repeat. Uh, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer. They said it's like a giant circle. Time is cyclical. So, by the way, when this gets like into your soul, like this model of time, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes gets to the spot where he says, I've looked at it all. I've had it all. I've had money. I've had power. I've had success. I've had wealth. I've had all of it. And I discover the, the tag of Ecclesiastes is, meaningless, meaningless. There's no new thing under the sun. I've had it all, and it's all meaningless. It's a real pick-me-up of a book. Um, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Um, but time is like this just giant cycle. 
And so what your parents did, their grandparents did, and your kids will do, and your great-grandkids will do. It's all this giant cycle. And so the question behind the Joseph story is, it's going to haunt the Joseph story, is this true? Is time cyclical? Are we bound to repeat the patterns of our parents? Or can something new be birthed? This question haunts us. Am I destined to just be my grandma, my great-grandma, my, my grandpa? Or can we break the cycle? Exodus seems to say, this whole idea that God shows love to a thousand generations is time is not cyclical. There is another way to see time. Uh, Jesus, when he talks uh, this language, it's really been um, maybe overused that we don't even think about it anymore, but this language of being born again was really a way of saying, time is not a cycle. You can start over. You can have a fresh start. You are not bound to just repeat. Progress and change and growth are part of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus says it's part of being human. Now, this is a radically countercultural idea then. Today, not so much. We see time less like a cycle. We see it more like a line uh, moving forward. Hopefully moving up and to the right is what we're wanting. But time is like a line. And yet for many of us, even though we understand that that's how time works, uh, many of us still in our souls, time is cyclical, right? You ever feel like a cog in a wheel? Like you're just working, working, working for the weekend, And the weekend comes and it's never long enough. And so now you're working, working, working for the holiday, for the vacation. And every day is the same thing. You wake up, you eat some breakfast, you go to work, you come home, you watch some Netflix, you go to bed and you do it all over again tomorrow. It's rinse, wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat. And when our souls feel like it's a giant, life is a giant cycle to endure. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. The chasing after the wind Um, But Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. It doesn't have to be this way. It does not, your past does not have to define your future. Today does not need to be a repeat of yesterday. Um, By the way, this is uh, why we celebrate baptism. It's part of of why we celebrate baptism. Um, It's part of why uh, if, you're, if you feel like you've been stuck in this, we'd love to talk with you about what does it look like to step into the new with Jesus. Um, so that's the good news. That's really good news. That's, that's gospel good news. Here's the, the difficult news. This is the harder news. Um, this doesn't just happen. Doesn't just happen. Jesus is not magic. Uh, following Jesus is not magic. Uh, one of the hardest pieces of baptism is often people will go into the waters of baptism saying, I want to change this thing in my life. And they get baptized. And then six months later, they're saying, well, I'm still dealing with that same thing. Yeah, following Jesus isn't like a magic pill that, okay, Jesus is like a Band-Aid. Now everything is going to be better. Um, it actually requires uh, us to participate. It re- our faith requires us to work. And... Um, And that work often begins with simply seeing it, seeing where is the dysfunction, what have I inherited, what is out of line with Jesus. Okay, let me get really practical. Uh, We'll wrap up here. Uh, Really practical. I want to suggest you attempt to do what what is referred to as a genogram. A genogram. Uh, Some of you are thinking, who's a what's a gram? Uh, Is that Instagram? No, it's not Instagram. A genogram. Anybody heard of a genogram before? Okay, Uh, genogram. It is, um, if you're wondering, what is a genogram? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, It is a visual map of your family tree. 
that helps you see and identify problems um, in your family line, good and bad, or or tendencies in your family line, good or bad. So how do you do it? Uh, Pretty simple in the how, um, but pretty hard at the same time. So how do you do it? You set up a meeting with your family members as far back as you can go, or you pick up the phone as far back as you can go, and you call them, or you sit down with them. Aunts, uncles, mom, dad, grandmas and grandpas if they're around, great-grandmas and great-grandpas if you're around. The younger you are, the easier this can be um, because you have more generations. Um, but if you're older, you can actually interview your kids uh, and figure out, like, did I pass things on that I'm, not even, I'm unaware of? So you sit down, make, pick up the phone, and you interview them. And uh, honestly, the more honest you can be in the interview, this is the hard part, so that was, that's the easy part. The, hard, the more honest you can be in the interview, the more comfortable you can be asking really uncomfortable questions, the better. Um, so so what, I, what I did when I did this uh, the first time was you kind of make the phone call and you ask uh, what subjects are out of limits. That's the first. You want to honor them. You don't want to talk about things that are awkward to them. Or, so, uh, and the less that's out of limits, the better. Um, but you just ask, like, hey, is it okay if we talk about your childhood? Is it okay if we talk about uh, any addictions that have been in our family? Is it okay if we talk about how did you and mom resolve an argument did you resolve arguments? Um, uh, is it okay that we talk about family secrets and who's the black sheep in the family? Um, is it okay that we talk about any affairs that have had, been had in our family? I mean, it, is, it, it can be... Um, by the way, some family members are not going to be open to this. Um, I have a good friend who said he was talking to... He's doing a genogram and... He asked about somebody in his family, and the person he asked said, you're going to need to talk to so-and-so about that. And then he found out there's this, there's this grandpa that's in his family that no one knows and has been in the family and then just disappeared. And it goes back a couple generations now, but um, uh, he learned some things. So uh, our goal is not to open old wounds or start, restart old fights. That's not the goal. You're trying to seek understanding. So if they're not comfortable talking, don't, don't talk to them. Um, but do everything you can do. Uh, I, I highly encourage it. Um, if you're thinking right now, I'll never do this. I, I, uh, I was first introduced by a, a seminary professor to this, and I remember thinking two thoughts. A, I don't want to do this, and B, uh, I already know everything I need to know about my family, and I don't need to go back there. I don't need to talk about that stuff. I don't need to think about that stuff. Um, but it was an assignment, and I had to, and so I did it. Um, and and you, got, you don't have to. This is just, you don't have to listen to me. Um, but it is uncomfortable at times asking grandma, tell me about, the, did you ever have an affair on grandpa? That's an uncomfortable conversation. Um, if it's comfortable for you, we have great therapists we work with. We'd love to introduce you. Uh, so be, be careful with it. Uh, we're trying to honor them. We're not trying to like, um, but invite them to be honest. Um, I, I, honestly, I learned so much about my family. And uh, some of it I I, would, I wouldn't share with you in the public way because it's my family and I, I would not want that all out there. But um, I, I can share this. Uh, so one of the things I learned, um, so there's worse things I learned, there's good things I learned uh, and there's, there's some things that I learned that are in me that I wasn't aware are in me. I learned that at least going back three generations, the men in my family uh, have a tendency to cut people off if they're not deemed perfect. Um, say this another way, perfectionism runs in my family. And, uh, and this idea that like there's a right answer and a wrong answer, and you're either in the right group or you're in the wrong group, that's in my family. Um, 
Growing up, I remember thinking that, and it was just kind of absorbed in me, I didn't actually see it at the time, that the worst sin that you can do as a man, the very worst thing somebody can tell you about you is that you are lazy. So, so I, uh, for years, um, I actually saw it as a strength, and in some ways it's a good thing, I guess, but in some ways it's not. Um, that uh, I, I, would, I, I remember thinking that you can be smarter than me, more athletic than me, more talented than me, but you will never outwork me. That was just my like, default position. Um, and you can run uh, really far on that, um, but at some level, if that's the goal, then it's a recipe for burnout, it's a recipe for disappointment, um, and it's a recipe for burning other people, friendships that aren't perfect. Uh, and it's a generational thing. It's, uh, it's something I still struggle with. I think I'm better than I used to be at it, but it's something I still struggle with. If, if your life's motto is work harder, work harder, work harder, you can burn through some really great potential friendships. When, and, and you can do it saying, well, it's, they just didn't want to do the work. Um, it's really easy to justify. If perfection is your goal, perfect thoughts, perfect values, perfect ideas, perfect discipline, um, you can burn through, through some stuff. Now, I, I share that. Um, don't use that against me, please. Uh, I share it as a moment of vulnerability to say, I didn't see that before. I did not see that before. I, uh, and if I did see it, I only saw how that was a good thing. And it is in many ways, working hard is a good thing. But I did not see how, uh, I did not do the work of seeing, oh, wow, I got that from some people. And I've, if I go back a couple generations, I can see how the bad things are attached to that and what, what ends up happening with that. I learned that through this, this genogram. I want to encourage you to do it. I, I think you'll find it enlightening. Um, if you're wondering what questions do I ask, uh, I can give you a list, or you can Google questions to ask for genogram. Um, it, there's some really good ones out there. Find the ones that you think would be helpful. Um, but again, this is not... Okay, let me name this too. Uh, the natural response when you find out some things from mom and dad or grandma and grandpa is to get angry and bitter. Avoid that. This is not blame shifting. We're not blame shifting here. We're not trying to say you're the reason I'm. We're not blame shifting. We are, um, it's not the goal. Our goal is to understand. In fact, if you do it right, I think what you'll discover is compassion for them um, because they had their own things that were handed down that they dealt with and now you don't have to deal with them. So the goal is compassion um, and ultimately the goal is that we identify all of those destructive cycles and uh, Jesus says he comes to bring freedom. And so we say, okay, Jesus, teach me a better way to do this. Teach me a better way to live. I don't want to hand this down to my kids. Uh, there really are at least three categories of sin in the Bible. Um, we often only think about two of them. There's a sin that's done by us, and there's a sin that's done to us. Those are the two we think about. But then there is the sin that's done around us. Uh, sin that's done around us by our family or sin that's done around us by our culture and it just becomes normal for us. And because it's normal for us, we, don't even, we can fool ourselves into thinking it's not even a sin. It's not even wrong. Everyone else is doing it. Uh, our goal is to be set free from, to see all of it for what it is. Um, not a lot more to say about this, but let me, uh, let me just end with this. Joseph does it. He does it. He breaks a cycle. He breaks the cycle. He does what the generations before him couldn't do. I say that because you are not doomed. We are not doomed. We can do this work. 
But it is work. It is work. Um, it doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up being a better dad than your dad was. You have to do the work. Uh, we'll pick up the story up back there next week. Um, and lots more to say, but uh, I think that's, that's enough for today. Um, would you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, we first begin with gratitude. We are grateful for, um, for our parents and our grandparents and our aunts and our uncles or our father figures or mother figures in our life who um, did their best to hand down a faith to us that uh, is able to endure all of the struggles we've all faced. Uh, Lord, we thank you for those of us who were handed um, some really beautiful things. And uh, Lord, we don't often even see those to say thank you to our parents or grandparents for handing us those. Uh, and Jesus, we need you to help us to see the thing. Holy Spirit, please give us eyes to see what are our blind spots, what we just didn't see before. And then Holy Spirit, help us to align uh, all of our lives with who you are, even the stuff that uh, has been handed to us that feels impossible. Uh, Jesus, um, as we'll sing in just a moment, would you look at the brokenness in us and would you help us to see beyond the brokenness, help us to move the brokenness aside. And Jesus, would you remind us that no matter how deep we are in whatever sin we're in, um, you still call us child. You still love us. Um, and Jesus, that is good news. And so we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Would you please stand? We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.